Welcome to Prim and Proper. I'm Elizabeth Hathaway. And I'm Marinella Mazzucato. Marinella, I almost forgot how we introed. Like, I sat here for a second, and the, the extra pause I took was because I couldn't remember what I typically said at the beginning. <laughs> it's because we, we were talking about the Yang Yang twins. <laughs> this is probably it. I got distracted. Um, well, today, we have another episode that was the topic was loosely uh asked by one of our not asked i'm stumbling over words here was loosely requested by one of our listeners diana shout out she suggested that we do something money related so you and i thought we'd focus a bit on like money lessons that we've learned in our relationship with money yeah um because outside of that as far as money goes that's Pretty much all I've got. I don't know how to uh, spend a ton of money. If I could have an episode episode about that, mm, I guess. Yeah, we, we definitely could roll out some more. But this is the one we're starting with. Um, and maybe a good place to start is when we first kind of learned about personal finance. When we were introduced to it, was it something that was talked about in the home growing up? Or is it something you had to navigate on your own, like a person with a seeth is that what it's called where you cut through the wild grasses <laughs> i don't know if it's called the seeth my grandfather used to use a machete to uh mow the oh, lawn that's a better that word. helps yeah that's a better word a machete you yeah. know so what were you were you taught it in the home or do you just have to machete your life um through life surprisingly my mother was a personal banker and she worked as a teller and she used to take us to work into a bank and I actually was not taught anything about money in the home whatsoever, <laughs> somehow. And if I was, it was like super basic, just put your money in a piggy bank and and leave it there. That's it. Yeah. So were your parents, do you, and maybe you don't know this, but who was responsible for like paying the bills and handling the family finances? Was that your mom then or both parents or um earlier i think in 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 her marriage and in my life from what i remember she handled most of the personal finances like she handled the checkbook and all that type of stuff which you know checkbook was a very serious thing to handle back in the day (laughs) it was you had to have that thing balanced uh Yeah. yeah yeah she did all of that she you know paid the bills and yeah, she handled all of that. But later in life, my dad seemed to take it over. Um, I think she just got overwhelmed with doing all the working. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's somewhat similar in my household. Although neither of my parents work for financial institutions or in the finance field, um, but my mother, I'm pretty sure, always certainly, obviously, after they divorced, my mother did all of our finances. But I think prior to the divorce, she handled most of them as well. At least that's my memory of it. I never got any kind of formal talks about finances in the home either. But my mother also didn't necessarily hide our situation from me. Like So I think I had some loose ideas of how we were doing financially. And I know I, I saw her do her system of paying the bills because this is back when you had to like mail checks like you didn't do it online you like 
physically wrote a check and mailed it out. Mm-hmm. Yep. And my mother got the bills in the mail. She would immediately write out the check and put it into the envelope to mail it back. But then on the envelope, she would write the date that it needed to go into the mail. And then she had this little sorter that she would store them in for like the week or two before she needed to put it in the post. Um, mm-hmm. So that's how she used to handle just like household. But we never talked about things like investing and retirement. That was like never discussed. Yeah, definitely never discussed in, in my house. Um, I think the most like discussion that my parents had with me about money was when I got closer to getting to college. Mm -hmm. and taking out student loans and what that would mean and unfortunately my mom did have a lot of like banking background and financial background but there wasn't like a comfort for her to like share that information with me my dad kind of took the reins on a lot of that stuff and he didn't come from a financial background he was like a computer guy and he knows Mm -hmm. some but I think that a lot of gaps existed like i really had no clue what i was getting myself into with a lot of these loans um how credit cards really worked um tax stuff he kind of just was like i'll just take care of all of it for you and as like an 18 year old i was like well i don't really want you to so Mm, yeah i i will say i feel like that's something so the experience you and I had, I feel like is pretty common for a lot of millennials, especially older millennials. I know that like they weren't necessarily taught personal finance, budgeting, you know, um, how to use credit cards responsibly, investing when they were growing up. And it's kind of stuff they learned more as an adult, either by asking questions or learning online or maybe haven't learned and are bad financial situations. Mm-hmm. Um, but I feel like that's changing. I know a lot of my friends who are parents now are th- like think of how to teach their kids and they have like all those little cute piggy bank sets where like you could put your money into like saving spending and donating and like you teach your kids about the different principles have you seen those uh no but could have used that in my 20s (laughs) i know right (laughs) i know so speaking of 20s um how did you start learning about these things did you seek out the information um no not really like i was in the hospitality industry um i made a lot of cash i lived very like by the seat of my pants i would pay my roommate in cash whatever i had left i just assumed that i could just spend it until my next bill hit and that's basically what i did i didn't really save anything but most of my lessons actually did come from not necessarily dating diana but like I guess the aftermath of our friendship she was very into you know um getting her financial independence back after she took out like a massive amount of loans so as somebody you know who was in that position she kind of was excited to teach me that kind of stuff so I learned a lot from her Mm, yeah I I knew my mother was pretty frugal growing up so like I think that was already ingrained in me a bit 
but she passed away when I was 21 and my dad is not a reliable like a fallback plan so I feel like when she passed away I had like a real coming to Jesus type of moment where mm-hmm. I was like okay like you don't have a financial safety net like I want to finish college but like money I make I, I need to like if I need a new car or if I need a play like I got to figure out a way to pay these bills and make sure that I always have money to pay the bills so I started very much leaning heavily into savings at like that age um I did not learn about things like investing though until I was a little bit older which I wish I had kind of had a younger because compounding interest is in your favor so like even if you're just putting away a very tiny amount of money when you're in your early 20s that shit will add up yeah in you know 20 30 40 50 years so that's one of those lessons that I didn't learn till later but I, I became a very big like savings freak um because I felt like I didn't have a safety net and I was like well I gotta I just gotta make sure I have money so you put a bunch of money in, in your savings pretty much was your first step like as far as being financially responsible goes yeah exactly and I mean I worked as a server so like I was squirreling away a decent amount of my paychecks um, outside of like obviously paying for my bills and like I went out and socialized and, and did spend money in those ways but anything extra I would squirrel away I mean you know compared to what I earn now it's not the same but like I was slowly building up enough to like cover an unexpected expense right like a you know major car repair or I had to move suddenly and had to pay you know the new security deposit for the new place like stuff like that yeah I was building enough of a nest egg to like cover those type of expenses yeah I think most of my focus was trying to get rid of like um my student loan debt and I was so I, I was making pretty good money probably is almost as good as what I'm making now which makes you kind of think like why the hell aren't people waiting on tables it really is a smart thing to do to be quite honest with you it's not bad it's not a bad income now yeah but um I became so like obsessed with getting rid of the debt that I completely was like not saving anything for myself so I mean it was great to get rid of the debt but at the same time I kind of one of the mistakes that I think I made that I realize now is not saving even just a little bit because of all that compound mm-hmm. interest. Yeah, it's such a cuz I also prioritize paying off my student loans over investing when I once I started investing and I still invested but I I again I think I was I just was of a mindset that like I don't have a safety net like I don't yeah. have someone in my life that I can fall back on so I don't want to carry around debt. But I had federal student loans, so they were like a lower interest rate. Mm-hmm. And theoretically, like the return you get in the market is greater than that. So you should be paying the minimum to keep in good standing with your student loans, but then investing because you will get more back in return. But that is like, A, not something I understood till a little bit later, and B, Again, I just had this mentality that I didn't want to carry the debt because I, I didn't want to be in a vulnerable position if I lost a job and, 
you know, I mean, so many reasons why I just kind of came from that like mindset that I, I didn't have a safety net. Yeah. Did you get a letter in the mail from Sally Mae asking you how you paid off your student loans? <laughs> no. I did. <laughs> no, I didn't. I did not have any Sally. Well, wait, are Sally Mae, is she? She's federal. Yeah, she's federal loan. Yeah. Then maybe I, I don't know. I don't recall me getting one, so. Yeah. I was, it was like, share your success story of how you paid off your student loans. Oh, I was like, God. I poured vodka into a, cl- into a glass so many times. Thank you. <laughs> What else do you want to know? I don't know. That's it. I told my alumni association that I will not contribute to that. (laughs) And instead, put that money toward my student loans. Thank you. Oh, damn. Yeah, I definitely don't contribute to USF's alumni association. I've done my part. Sorry. But they will track you down. I tell you what, if I ever go missing, call the alumni associations of USF and WVU because they will find me. I got, I'm not even kidding you. I've moved like four or five times since I lived in Chicago. A couple years ago, I got a notice from WVU that I had like a $10 parking fee that was unpaid from like 2009. I was like, wow y'all found me like seven addresses later i'm very impressed very impressed for ten dollars like i actually paid it i was was, like so impressed (laughs) by their like ability to track me down i was like you guys earn this ten dollars like here you go like put somebody else's parking ticket on my tab too this is impressive yeah pay it forward what if i could do you know how people go in the starbucks line they're like i'll pay for the car behind me what if i started a chain reaction of just like paying somebody else's parking fee and then like the next person pays so and like we just eliminate all the parking fees at wvu from prior students that's lovely that's a lovely idea unfortunately parking meter attendants are from the seventh circle of hell and they would probably just pocket the money (laughs) I would never park in a spot in Chicago you are not allowed to park. The, they, like, pop up out of – I'm assuming that there is some sort of subterranean system that they travel through, <laughs> and then they just pop up on street level to ticket your vehicle because any time you're walking down the streets of Chicago and you see somebody parked in an area they're not supposed to, like they don't have a parking permit for that zone – or they're just parked in like a no park zone or like if there's snow removal that day and they're not on the right side of the road, you will see that little orange ticket right in the windshield. I mean, guaranteed two seconds you leave your vehicle. It's there. That's crazy. I, I really play play oh. on the dangerous side with parking in places and not paying. I can usually get away with like 30 minutes in St. Pete. I do never risk it in Chicago. <laughs> I promise you, you will, you will regret it. <laughs> Noted. So, as far as having like conversations like we're having, do you feel like you talk about money with your friends, your female friends, or I do in in some ways, like more so than I did when I was in my twenties, yeah. for sure. Um, it's not always like iron this much and you know but it's it will be kind of general like the other day actually two of my girlfriends and I in our little group chat and I'm sorry listeners again if you hear those sirens you're not being followed it's me 
I'm the problem. It's me. <laughs> um, so on this group chat with two of my girlfriends, we were commenting on like, we we checked our 401ks recently. We saw like the markets doing better and our 401ks, you know, have improved. Um, so like money comes up in those ways. I also have not purchased a home yet, but I do have some friends who have condos here in Chicago and I absolutely would feel comfortable like when the time comes going to them for like you know their guidance and their their thoughts on what that process is like yeah um so and I know like our group chat sometimes it comes up where we talk a little bit more than I say we ever did before but it's still not at least with our group chat not a huge point of discussion yeah I feel like men talk about money amongst each other because I've worked in like a field that's been so dominated with men that I've just overheard conversations and they're very like helpful helpful towards each other with that like how to make more money in this aspect you know what they've done like they give each other tips and I don't know that women do that as much but it's so funny that like women will talk about every problem that they're having on earth with everything but, like, I don't think we're quick to say, like, hey, I'm in some financial trouble. Does anyone have any advice? Like, I feel like it's something that we kind of steer away from. Yeah, I wonder if there's, like, this weird... It feels sometimes maybe that there's a weird undercurrent of shame, mm-hmm. and I don't know where it comes from. I don't know if it's because men typically we're socialized with the expectation that they're the breadwinner yeah and because men know that like that's the expectation on them they feel comfortable talking to other men about that and getting advice whereas like women have kind of been left out of a lot of economic opportunities and conversations i mean prior to what like world war ii women didn't work yeah you know that was something that kind of came about in world war ii and then what was it in the 1970s that women could get credit cards without a male co-signer? Um, that's prior to that, that recent. Needed, wow. Very recent. It's it's like shockingly recent. I might be slightly off on the decade, but it's shockingly recent how, um, you know, when women could get credit cards on their own. And so I just, I wonder if we're just starting to, because I mean, if you're talking about the 70s, that's our parents, right? So, like, I feel like sometimes it takes a couple generations to, like, see the change. So it's like I wonder if women are just starting to finally feel more confident with things like finances and personal, you know, and and investing in personal finance and yada, yada. And so they're finally at a place where they're maybe starting to open up to other women and then pass it on to their daughters you know i wonder if if that's why we didn't grow up with a lot of it but yeah. if we had been boys maybe we would have been taught more i don't know yeah i think uh what's her not what's her name i know her name Susie orman kind of opened the door on like empowering women to um talk about money and take control of like their money instead of handing it over to perhaps their spouse or um, in my case Mm -hmm. like my dad strongly suggested I work with a financial advisor that he worked with and this guy kind of ran me over the coals like he was changing things constantly I didn't understand that 
constant changes meant fees and profits and things like that for him. So like I'm finally figuring out to put money into stuff and, you know, open up an IRA. And the funny thing is I was working for Marriott and there was an awesome 401k program that I didn't really know about. And he didn't like even ask me like, hey, you're working for like a massive corporation. Is there a 401k? So stuff like that where I'm like, I wonder if I just like had a little bit more direction from maybe somebody I knew personally that I wouldn't have had to like just go for what this stranger was telling me. Yeah, it's tricky finding reputable resources because a lot of the, I hate to throw shade, but a lot of the like Edward Jones. That's um, what it was, Edward Jones. (laughs) Finance. They're, they're like, they're more salespeople than they are. Um, and there's a term. Um, like you want to get somebody that is, is it a certified financial planner? Like they should have a level of certificate and you should want to pay them. Um, oh gosh, I'm going to get the wrong because I don't, is I don't it personally fiduciary? Use one, is that the word? Fiduciary. It's, that's the word. You want someone what a word. with a fiduciary. Yeah. <laughs> Right, or I think that's it. And then uh, these terms are probably all wrong. If they're wrong, I'll in the show notes, I'll correct them. But uh, you want to find a financial planner that charges you like per the hour, like for your time, as opposed to like the, I forget. Oh, I'll have to try to find an article on this. Cause like I said, I don't use any financial planners, but you there is a way to find somebody who's reputable and is not just going to try to make money off of you. Um, and there is like a little bit of a difference. Yeah. So I'll I'll try to link an article in the show notes on that. Um, I personally, like when I got into investing, I did some research online and I opened up, you know, initially my IRA and my 401k. And I just try to research some of the index fund. I mean, there's a lot of, Again, it's hard to know what information online is reliable or not reliable, Um, but there's a lot of good information you can find about like index funds and which ones are good and which companies, you know, you don't have a choice in your 401k vendor, that's whoever your, your your HR, your, yeah, your company uses, but you do have a choice if you set up an IRA, which is another form of a retirement account that doesn't go through your employer. Um, and there's like, I think the three big ones are Vanguard, uh, Fidelity, and Charles Schwab. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think like go with one of them. They have lower interest rates. They're like super reliable. You can set up your own. And like, yeah, I just, I, I don't think I've changed too much about like the index funds that I have my money in that often I'm just kind of like a set it and forget it I periodically look and I'll research and maybe make some changes but I'm not like once a week or every few weeks or every I'm like once a year <laughs> let me evaluate yeah. if I think I should make changes or not <laughs> yeah and you can make changes as like if you want to be more aggressive in your younger years versus you know I started off with doing like For sure I think bonds and I probably could have been a little bit more like um risky honestly i probably could have stood mm-hmm. for that but i just was terrified of losing all my money because i didn't understand how it worked like 
I thought that if, you know, my IRA was plummeting or my 401k was plummeting, then I was like losing physical money, like it was actually going away and I would never get it back. So that's how little I really knew. I'll link some resources in the show notes, but for the most part, I think if you're Googling like personal finance or investing, um, Google is actually pretty smart with like a website being an authority and recommending like authorities on a topic what you don't want to do is you know how the ads on google pop up first Mm -hmm. you don't ever want to click on an ad because anyone can post a google ad so you don't know if you're going to some like reliable website or not but scroll past the top like two or three that are ads and they say add on them so you can tell that they're ads and the the other resources that pop up on like the first page or two of google are usually more reliable just because in order to to get on Google's first page like Google has to believe that you're an authority on the subject especially when it comes to I think finance and health like medical issues like those are two big ones that like you can't just like create a website and people come to it and it shows up on the first page of Google like that's just not how it works look at Google doing the right thing look at that yeah I mean I don't care what they say about Google I mean, Google's doing it because they want advertisers to continue using them. In order to get advertisers to use them, people have to find them to be a good search engine. So, I mean, they're doing it for their own motives. Oh, for sure. Whatever. It benefits you, too. Yeah, it's working out. Um, I do have, and like I said, I'll link them in show notes, but a couple of places that, like, I started learning about personal finance or that I will still sometimes go to are, like, NerdWallet is a big one. I use Mint for budgeting. Um, the balance, good financial sense, mm. C E N T S. Mm-hmm. I think those are all pretty reliable um, resources that I'll I'll link. Um, yeah. But hashtag not a fiduciary. So <laughs> I I would say the <laughs> not a fiduciary. Sorry, um, I would say the thing that I use most. And because I am the type of person that learns best from listening is I listen to the Chooseify podcast. I've pretty much told everybody that I give even slightly a, a bit of a damn about about the podcast because they interview people, women, older people, men, um, experts in certain areas, business owners about, you know, how they get closer to achieving their goals because everybody's kind of different you know what I need may be completely different than what somebody who's got four kids needs and this podcast kind of goes through all of that and treats everybody um like an individual instead of just like kind of like the Susie Orman or I think you remember the time of the minimalists where they're telling you Mm -hmm. there is just one way to get to this point and it's not true yeah yeah no not all and like everyone's situation is different and I mean on so many levels like if you're a family of four you probably need a bigger emergency fund than I do Mm -hmm. if you live you know if you work in a job that might not be as stable you might keep a bigger emergency fund because you anticipate like you know job termination as a possibility in your industry or whatever you know I mean like there's so many the cost of living in your area the you know I mean so many factors right for every person 
Um, yeah. How is, I guess, shifting gears slightly, how is your relationship with money now? Um, I mean, money's not the most important thing to me in the world. I don't, I don't make a ton of it. Um, but I know, I kind of know what I value now and what I'm willing to spend money on. And, you know, I, I live in a very sensible condo. Um, I spent years in a relationship with somebody who was very irresponsible with money and I took care of a lot and there was a big lesson to learn there. (laughs) Um... (laughs) The biggest one is, like, keep your finances separate. That's a completely healthy thing to do. Um, Like, you can still have a joint account and still tackle things together, but you just never know if one day you're going to get home and she's used your credit card at a strip club. You just don't know that. (laughs) And uh, your life changes. That sounds like a true story. I also know it's a true story. (laughs) It's never happened to me. Um... (laughs) But yeah, my relationship with money is positive. I don't worry about it too much. I did have an emergency fund that was pretty solid and it was for my pets and I'm glad I had it. Mm-hmm. I used what I needed and I, you know, I, I can be a little more relaxed now that I don't have pets, but I still will have some kind of emergency fund. Yeah, for sure. I mean, honestly, Walter had an ear surgery. I mean, it's probably been like, seven eight years ago at this point but that was like fifteen hundred dollars unexpected because mm-hmm. he got himself a hematoma in his ear that required a surgery and like it's a whole big thing for cats on like humans who get a hematoma and it usually just goes away <laughs> in its own Aww. that is not how it works in cat ears um yeah and yeah i i am grateful that like that wasn't i mean it was a stress for me because i was worried about walter and putting him under and you know all the things that like for for moms worry about um but thankfully like it wasn't necessarily a financial stress because i knew i had the money and like it was no question i was gonna you know get the the procedure done for him um yeah i so i just want to pick up on your point because i'm very much in line with your thinking about being having separate finances like if I do get married or when hopefully one I get married um I do want to have separate finances and that may to your point look like us having you know what are shared expenses let's both put money into a joint account that covers those and maybe you know any vacations or other things we want to do together again we can both contribute toward those things Um, But I just having worked in mental health field for a long time, know that one of the things that's very common that people don't realize about abusive relationships is the economic abuse. And it's Mm -hmm. not talked about, you know, it's so often we talk about physical abuse or maybe emotional and psychological, but we don't talk about the ways in which an abuser exerts power and control over finances and uses that as a way to keep you um, dependent on them. Like if they control all the finances and they're monitoring the credit cards and they're monitoring the bank accounts, you don't have access to them or you have very limited and it's, you know, like someone watching it like a hawk, you can't just leave if you're in a bad situation because you need money to be able to get gas and drive away and find a hotel and you know like all of those things take a little bit of money and um you would not believe the amount of 
And I speak more in heterosexual relationships because I think, unfortunately, more men are typically abusers than women. But I know it can happen that women are abusers as well. But there are so many women. It's like sad the amount of women who feel like they can't leave a relationship because they don't have the financial means to do it. And we're not talking about a lot of money. We're just talking about access to a little bit of cash to like physically leave that day. Oh, God. Yeah, that's really sad. And if yeah. if you love somebody, you should love them enough to say, hey, uh, I want you to be able to take care of yourself no matter what. Because really, you are not promised any day of life. And I mean, I wasn't in a relationship where I felt like I was economically abused, but I was the type of person to just surrender so much of what I had earned for myself to help somebody who was not necessarily on the same page and really didn't give a shit about um, their finances at all. So you kind of have to just, you have to put yourself first in some situations. Yeah, agreed. Um, I also think, piggybacking off of that, when I think about a long-term partner, this doesn't come up on the first date. I'm not suggesting that. But like at a certain point, when you start beginning kind of talking about finances in a relationship, I, I do want somebody that shares some of my same values. Like I do want somebody who makes it a point to invest in their future. Now, I know depending on how much they earn, that might look different. I'm not here to like yeah. necessarily have a huge judgment on that. But like I do want somebody who is investing and looking for their, you know, toward their future. I do want someone who lives within their means and, you know, also probably like you said kind of values spending money on the same things like I'm not necessarily and there's nothing wrong with this I'm just saying personally I'm not into like a lot of fashion some people are and that's great do the thing that you love like I'd rather spend money going out to eat and spend it like on a trip than on things like fashion and I just think someone that matches my lifestyle would probably also kind of value spending money in those areas versus you know fashion and that's just one example yeah again nothing wrong with it but like whatever your values are where you like to spend your money like i want a partner that aligns with that not perfectly but like at least we're kind of headed in the same direction yeah close where you're not completely like at each other's throats about every penny you spend um yeah and that whole like uh, millennials are broke because they can't stop buying avocado toast and lattes you know what? If I want to fucking buy a latte and some avocado toast, that's probably all I'm really buying. So I feel like I'm entitled to that. <laughs> Absolutely. Also, it's like such a fucking not understanding <laughs> how like the economics of the world has changed. Like there's all those graphs online that you can see how much like college costs you and me compared to our parents and now how much more it costs Gen Z compared to us. Yeah. And it's like astronomical compared to like your earning power post college. And like the rising cost of homes has not kept up with or the you know the increase of the average worker has not kept up with the rising cost of home ownership or these other areas. So it's like give me a fucking break on the avocado toast <laughs> it's like the most asinine well because you bought fucking 11 dollar avocado toast 
10 times this year I saw you went to 10 brunches and got avocado toast and I get it a lot because I don't eat meat and eggs and if I go to brunch it's usually avocado toast that I have to eat do you ask them are these California avocados because I'm paying for quality here I want I want some high-end shit (laughs) I am not a Karen that asks them where the avocados come from (laughs) Is this farm-raised oh avocado gosh. or? <laughs> um, oh, God. And I absolutely get two fucking lattes every Saturday and Sunday at my local coffee shop because I support a local business and it's a little bit of my community in my neighborhood and I love it and it's my socializing and I don't give a fuck that I get four lattes a week. Amen. I don't care. I, I, went, to, I, care. <laughs> I went to a coffee shop in the south side of St. Pete Uh to get a little bit out of the um, out of the realm of like downtown, and I wanted to support a lesbian-owned business, and it was amazing. It was so peaceful. I was like, he would not know that somebody's getting shot down the street at all. It was great. <laughs> it's a, little, um, a little sanctuary in there. Yeah. So, you know, five dollars well spent. Kill me. Yeah. I mean, it's really you're telling me that the reason I can't buy. <laughs> house is because I've spent a couple hundred dollars a year on lattes and avocado <laughs> toast. I mean, I'm short tens of thousands of dollars on home ownership because of a $400, and that's probably being generous, latte and avocado budget. <laughs> like, really? Oh my God. And you Come know what? On. Home ownership is not that great. I'll tell you that much. I'm happy for people who own a home, yes, but like um, if you read the book First Time Home Buyer, you'll learn a little bit more about what it actually takes to own a home and it's it's a fucking pain in the ass. So get ready for that. Mm -hmm. I don't know. Yeah. 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 There are definitely, yeah, there's drawbacks. There's challenges. There's a lot of benefits, but there's also challenges that come with it and there's drawbacks and it's not just... I think people have this like oh well i either could be paying a landlord or i could be putting equity into a home and like yes but it's not quite that simple yeah. like when my toilet breaks i don't have to pay for my to repair it i just like call the emergency maintenance line i'm like bitches come out here and fix my toilet it's my only one because i live in a one bedroom like get on it yeah and they do right like i don't ever have to endure a cost of anything breaking in here or me repairing things um yeah or like periodically it's like they're responsible for updating their apartments like if they want to put in new you know kitchenware cabinets that sort of stuff i don't ever have to endure those costs and you also have flexibility because that's another thing with home ownership you aren't as nimble and flexible like if you get a job somewhere else in a different state you know yeah you got to figure that out as a homeowner and that that can be you know I had a friend recently who um, took a job here in the Midwest they were living out in the Phoenix area and they thankfully are able to stay with family here short term they were having so much trouble selling their home in Phoenix the market's just like really homes are sitting on the yeah, yeah. you would I would think because in Chicago they go so quickly but in Phoenix, they're just sitting on the market. Like no one is buying homes at the moment. And so they finally opened it up to to find renters and they were able to find renters. 
Um, but that's just it, right? Like, I mean, that has that was like a headache that they endured for months. And now they have renters, and that comes with its own mixed bag. Yeah. You have good renters, it can be great. But if you have shitty renters, they could damage your place. They could not pay. They could, I mean, like, and then what? You have now a mortgage you still have to pay, and the rent or other mortgage you have to pay in the new place. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, homeownership's great, but it, it definitely comes with, yeah. Yeah. And that kind of brings me to like what I also equate like money with your time. Because um, mm. there's points where I was like, you know, I. I do work a full-time job. Um, I do have some time where I could actually, you know, I've thought about going back into service industry part-time, bartending to make extra money. But then I'm like, do I really need that money versus my time? And I try to think of myself when I was in the hospitality industry and I'm like, let's see. I'm probably going to take that money and do something either just like really kind of eh with it and kind of be stressed and max myself out so i just feel like unless you really really have to in my opinion sometimes it's not worth taking on that extra work and taking on that extra stuff Mm Hmm. along the lines of money and time it's also sometimes again depending on your financial means it's also sometimes very worth paying a professional to do something rather than DIYing it. Mm -hmm. Like moving to me is a classic example. When I was in my 20s to like my mid-20s maybe, I every time we moved, we rented the U-Haul. You know, you got a couple friends together. You moved. You bought them all pizzas at the end. And it was a stressful as fuck day. Like (laughs) I'm not a professional mover. I get exhausted Chicago is like so many three-story walk-ups and I've lived so many times on the third floor so I'm going up and down three sets of stairs <laughs> every every time I'm carrying a fucking box and like you know I was I remember Ramon and I when we moved into our second apartment here in Chicago we spent probably 12 hours moving everything I mean it was insane how long it took us and we were utterly exhausted. I think we dropped off the U-Haul at like 2 a.m. in the morning because you could just drop it off at the lot. And then like a bus wasn't coming. So we had to walk <laughs> a mile back to our place. It was like so horrible on yeah. so many levels. Like I still have PTSD from it, I think. Um, and, you know, after that, I started hiring movers. And yes, you're paying a little bit more. But honestly, not that, that much more. And they get it done in like two, three hours. I mean, it's crazy how quickly they get it done. It's so stress-free. I get to just like point, like put the box in that room. Yeah. Put the box in that. Amazing. Yeah. I mean, I got to like bring Walter, um, like, you know, that's a whole nother thing. Like when I'm moving myself I had to like shut Walter in a bathroom for 12 hours so he didn't accidentally get out oh yeah but when I had the movers I'm just like holding him and petting him because I'm like we're cool buddy we're just directing movers around like let's chill coordinating <laughs> I, I believe you got a bonus out of one of the movers before as well <laughs> well yes that is true <laughs> I definitely got my money's worth <laughs> from that move <laughs> good for you 
Um, I'm on the exact psychotic opposite, and I did all my my baseboards in here. I do like any like home improvement thing. I do it because I find it enjoyable. But if I was a person who hated it, I would be like, I'll fucking spend every penny. Yes, there are certain DIY projects I love to do, and I could pay someone to do them. But I, to your point, do get it like a sense of enjoyment out of it. Mm-hmm. Um, so that, yeah, I would put that in a separate category. But moving was not something I got any level of enjoyment out yeah, of. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, about that. I haven't moved my shit in a while. I would never probably do my baseboards by myself again. That was a bitch. You know how many angles are in inside of your house yeah a million yeah a million cuts yeah we'll try living in chicago where most of the buildings are 100 plus years old and so like the floors and the building have settled throughout mm-hmm. the decades it means none of your walls are perfectly perpendicular oh. not one fucking wall these ones aren't either honey trust me <laughs> <laughs> it is it I'm proud of them, but if I could turn back time, I would have definitely uh, paid somebody to do that one for sure. Well, listen, um, I have some more money lessons to share. Yeah. But we are definitely running out of time. Okay. Yeah, uh, we do have so very limited time now. We do. So I think we call this episode a wrap. Yep. And maybe we pick up on part two next week sneak peek listeners what's coming at you yeah definitely we'll do more of like the actual tips and suggestions that we may have for you yeah and lessons learned yeah because i have a whole list of like real real lessons that i've had to learn so um i hope everyone has a good week if you do ever have podcast ideas for us you can contact us via email which is prim and proper pod at gmail.com or what's the Instagram Marinella uh the Instagram is prim and pop damn it (laughs) (laughs) nailed it (laughs) prim and proper podcast we'll put them in the show notes and um leave us a review Venmo us some cash we'll invest it I don't know why not Oh, yeah, we should leave our Venmos in there and see if anybody sends us. We'll do that as well. Yeah. Uh, We'll see you next week. See ya.